Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And this podcast is brought to you by Everything's Everything's Coming Up Simpsons. Simpsons. Make sure to tune in on September 11th. We are talking about the episode Radio Bart with a special guest you may recognize. Hi, I'm Nancy Cartwright. And actually, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the (gasps) hell are you? Ah! We're so excited. This This is so good. This was one of our favorite episodes we've ever done. Mark your calendars. I don't know. You're probably already downloading it. What What is this life? Uh, September 11th, we are joined by, you already heard her, Nancy Cartwright. We're so excited. Please tune in. All right. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Last Rampage, the new true crime film starring Robert Patrick, Heather Graham, and Bruce Davison. And we had the pleasure of speaking to someone involved with the movie. My name is Robert Patrick. I play Gary Tyson. That's Gary Tyson with an I in the film Last Rampage. Evil broke loose in 1978. Arizona State Penitentiary. You know, that was interesting. What what, what it was like playing a real person as opposed to a, a fictional character. It was really trying to wrap your head around how this guy could do some of the things that he could do. That was the the things that you were drawn on. Of course, there was no way you're going to try to do an impersonation of a guy, nor was I going to try to, you know, get as heavy as the guy. Uh, I didn't have enough time to really go that route. But I, I, you know, I found him really, really interested in trying to live up to the charisma that he had. I fell in love with the folklore of the story, like there, you know, the the whole idea that he was a guy that was raised uh, during the Great Depression. See that, from a historical point of view, those kind of stories resonate with me. That yearning for something better, trying to find it, have to steal to get it. How do you deal with that if you're a religious person? You know, how do you run underneath that? How do you justify it? He had a double life sentence that he began to push his wife and his kids to say, God, you know, I'm going to serve one term, and when I die, I'm going to serve another term in hell. Uh, I got to get out of this. And, and the, the, the link that he was willing to uh, uh, go to to get his kids to help him get through this and get him out of prison was, it was fascinating to me. Don't miss Last Rampage, the true story of the prison break of Gary Tyson. In theaters September 22nd and available for on-demand pre-order August 22nd. Find out more on Twitter by following at Last Rampage Film or on Facebook.com slash Last Rampage Film. Hey guys, this is Kamel. Um, welcome to the X-Files Files. Um, so, uh, here's the issue I just found out, is that um, the episode I recorded with Matt Myra, where we talked about uh, Firewalker and Red Museum, turns out uh, the file is corrupt. 
and it is unreleasable and there is really no way to get it back. So we're trying to figure out how to fix that. Um, obviously, both of those episodes, um, you know, I said I would cover them. Honestly, I just found out two minutes ago, so I really have no idea what we're going to do. But what I am doing right now is we're going to release the Glenn Morgan episode. So what you're going to listen to is the Glenn Morgan episode. Glenn Morgan, of course, is the writer from the first couple seasons of The X-Files, who, I can't even say The X-Files. Uh, first couple seasons, uh, him and James Wong wrote a bunch of the great episodes, and these guys really had a hand in shaping the X-Files and making the X-Files what it is. He left for season three, he leaves halfway through season two, in fact, and then he came back season four, and they wrote some fantastic episodes. So, this is a really, really, um... Great episode. I really like talking to Glenn. Uh, I was really nervous to meet him, obviously. I'm such a fan of his, and, you know, I love the Final Destination movies, and he's done a lot of awesome stuff. His show, in fact, uh, called Intruders, is on BBC America right now. It airs after Doctor Who on Saturdays, and I really like that show, too. It's uh, uh, Darren Morgan is also involved on that show, and uh, it's just got some really, like, creepy atmosphere to it. It's very spooky. I've seen the first two episodes I've been traveling, so haven't seen the third one yet, but it's um it's a really, really great show, and I highly recommend you get into it. So I was really sort of curious as to, you know, how uh, these guys wrote these episodes, how they got the ideas and stuff, and um, again, I will uh, sort of break down the interview a little bit um, afterwards, so uh, stay for that. And, um, again, uh, I just found out those files are gone. The Red Museum and, um, Firewalker one. Now, Firewalker, I'm sort of okay skipping, um, even though it was such a great episode. It's such a bummer that this happened. But, you know, this kind of stuff happens. The Red Museum one, obviously, that episode ties into the main arc in sort of an interesting way. It's an episode that really, um... You know, uh, it's it's sort of, it's a little bit all over the place. But at the end, it ties into mythology in an interesting way. So what I think I'm going to do, actually, is um, uh, the Kevin Smith episode is next week. So I'm going to attach um, sort of... Uh, Maybe just talk about the two episodes on my own in depth. Attach that as the intro to the Kevin Smith episode. And then at the end of that episode, um, Emily and I did a mini episode where we talked about Excelsior's Day. That's the one about <laughs> uh, ghost rape in the old folks' home. Um, so then the next episode was going to be Kevin Smith, and that's going to have a discussion of three episodes, two with just me sort of going over stuff I thought was interesting. Uh, one with Emily, where we really sort of get into <laughs> the issue of ghost rape. And then a really great conversation with Kevin Smith, who was a great guy. So really, really sorry about those guys. Um, uh, obviously, it's nobody's fault. This kind of stuff happens. It could have been worse. It could have happened to two really, really classic a fantastic episodes. If this had happened to One Breath or Dwayne Barry or Ascension, I would be completely devastated. Um, and obviously, this this really, really, really sucks. Um, but you know, could always be worse. So it's nobody's nobody's fault, really. Anyway, um, so this is my interview with Glenn Morgan, who was really fantastic. And I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, about the interview afterwards. Yeah, and you just because I, you know, the friend of mine who 
pointed your sh this out to me. Yeah. She does behind the scenes stuff. I actually met her on those alt X Files. Uh, oh, alt TV yeah, X Files. Yeah, back then, she was like a kid uh, graduating or starting film school back in Toronto, and um, and so then I became friends with her on that because I could tell like she could write and she was like a good kid. Yeah. And so when we did Final Destination, I said, if you can find a place to stay in Vancouver, you can be my assistant. And from there, then she did the behind the scenes on Willard, and now she does all the stuff. She works with Cronenberg, uh, all the all the making of stuff. Oh, wow. Uh, Fincher and all the Fargo series. Oh, she worked in Fargo? Yeah, but when she, she subtitles me. Because I don't finish my sentence or something. I'm, like, what are you doing? I'm fucking speaking English. <laughs> no, you sound great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, all right. And the Final Destination, that was an X Files pitch, right? That then got turned into. Uh, not that I, not that I know of. It might have. It might have been because there was other guy. It was Jeff. How been. How did you get involved with that? New Line was going after all the X Files writers, and uh, they brought us in and said here's this idea and then Jim and I go no only do it if you can't see death because I figured they would never go for that and then oh then they did yeah I mean what's death gonna look like it's I know but every Halloween I'm like oh damn there's there's no merchandising <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know I really like those Final Destination movies out of all the new like horror franchises like yeah. Saw or Paranormal Activity whatever right. I think those embrace like the fun of their premise the most I hope, yeah, you know, I hope they should be seen as comedies because they're so crazy. Well, that's, I know Amanda from the third one. Oh. She plays Monica. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I own the, I own the newest one because I stupidly got a 3D TV and they don't have many, like, 3D movies, but I've seen that one a bunch of times. The one with the bridge? Yes. Oh, no, it's the car. It's the car race. It's the... the... Oh, oh, that's the fourth one, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah. Kristen was in the first one. She got killed. She was the teacher. Oh, got wow. got off the plane, and then all the knives stabbed her. Oh, right. Yeah. One of my favorite ones is the one where the guy's working out, and, like, you see yeah. the cable snap, and it, like, smashes his head. Yeah. I really yeah. like that. Yeah. That's the fun of it is, like, there's room, and then you see, like, one thing, then you see another thing. You know, like, they all, like, sort of line up slowly. Right. Yeah. I think it's I awesome. I spent... Uh, like three days at the Home Depot on Sunset and Van Ness or whatever. Yeah. Just going from aisle to aisle. Okay. Nothing <laughs> to do that. I was like so paranoid. <laughs> and then no one ever said, what are you doing in here, mister? Yeah. Know, I was just like touching pointed things. And, you know, I didn't know that they keep certain chemicals over there away from these chemicals over there because if they were to spill and you know, people would be gassed. And oh, wow. Like that. yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. I'm talking to Glenn Morgan, uh, one of the, uh, you know, you wrote like from the first two seasons, like some mm -hmm. of the best episodes, some of the ones that really established what the X-Files was going forward. And the way we met was interesting. So you had been, from my perspective, you know, there was a guy who was tweeting at me about X-Files every now and then. And then at one point you said the word we, and then I looked at your name and I was like, wait, is this yeah. the Glenn Morgan who wrote like the best episodes? And you were like, well, I didn't write the best ones. I was like, holy shit, this is so exciting. Yeah. yeah no, my, uh, I have a friend in Toronto. She's like a adopted sister. She says, oh, you got to listen to this podcast. She always tells me, oh, you got to look up, you got to read this. Yeah. Oh, you got to have this thing. These guys said this. I'm like, 
you know, it's um, any of us have that thing in their lives from 20 years ago. And if you're still daily doing that, it's of like course. you got to move on. Right. But, um, so you know, you got to listen. Uh, uh, very insightful and funny. Oh, and then my you. brother, Darren. Yeah. He's like, oh, you got to hear this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm working in Vancouver and I was on my way to the airport and I, and I was like, uh, I just laughed my head off. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I've been emailing you with your brother, Darren. I'm going to have him on. Oh, good. And I talked to Jim Wong last night, who'd be oh. more than happy to come here. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Great. Yeah, uh, yeah Darren's going to come on at end of season three, because that's sort of the bulk of his work. Right. He does Humbug in this season, but then Clyde mm -hmm. Bruckman and all of those are next season. Mm -hmm. So I've been e emailing with you a little bit, trying to figure out what we're going to talk about, uh, sort of focus it a little bit, because I have so, so many questions. And you basically said that you guys, you and James Wong, your job was sort of the characters. Like that, that was sort of like developing Mulder and Scully's characters was sort of your specialty, right? Well, well, yeah, look, everybody, it's hard to talk about because everybody, I mean, I really, it sounds like, you know, um, oh, you're just trying to be nice guy, but really, truly, that show is a team effort. Chris led the way and everybody, everybody joined in and, and I think a show becomes successful for a long time because, you know, like in base in sports, you get a free agent comes in your, so when Darren comes in or when Vince Gilligan comes in, you know, it's like, you're, you're like, you can go on forever, but that first year was like Chris, Howard and Alex, Jim and I, Marilyn Osborne was there, but out of the producers, it just fell into Chris did a, some mythology. Jim and I did monsters and character stuff and Howard and Alex did weird science. That's generally, and, but not intentionally, but that's just how it fell out. And how did you get involved with the show? Did you know Chris Carter from before? No, I. It's, uh, Jim and I got kind of started at uh, Stephen J. Cannell uh-huh we're working on 21 jump street uh-huh and uh and peter roth ran cannell's company then with uh his executive um working with him as Marilyn osborne peter went to fox uh jim and i we worked on a commish with michael chiklis uh-huh and then um we were gonna go work on the show that year the big pilot was a show called um moon over miami that harley payton uh it was a comedy, romantic comedy in Miami, yeah, yeah. And he had been involved in Twin Peaks, which is like one of the greatest things ever made. I just right. Uh, yeah. So I met with him. He's a good guy. We're going, hey, we're going to go do this. And then our agent said, Peter Roth is demanding that you watch this pilot. He's begging you. And Peter's that kind of guy. Oh, please. <laughs> and um, so we went to our agent's office and we watched the pilot. And we're like, oh, it's pretty good. Wow, that's really good. Oh, we got a problem. <laughs> They go, no, no, we'll go. And we hadn't seen the other <coughs> show's pilot. Moon over Miami. Moon over Miami. And so we went and watched it that day. And we we're like, oh, <laughs> go, oh, we got a problem. And so we backed out of that. And I was chewed out. Were you? But it was the right decision, obviously. No, and that guy is like a good guy. We're, we're friends with him, the head of Columbia at the time. Yeah. And later he's like, you made the right decision. Yeah. So, <laughs> X-Files is X-Files. Yeah, so we didn't know Chris, and we went and we met him. and Yeah. and uh, There are no podcasts about Moon Over Miami, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they are, they're not going to have many episodes. This no. is the closest, this is the most Moon Over Miami has been <laughs> talked about on a podcast. In 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's interesting is the way that the show is set up, you have, you know, Mulder and because so, Scully's brought in to sort of debunk Mulder. And, and in a way, these two characters are set up as opposing viewpoints. But then when you do that, 
the, the challenge is to also make them feel like real people, you know, so that they're not just like avatars for these different points of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the season goes, uh, actually right from the beginning, their chemistry is so good that, you know, you never really feel like they're just like a collection of ideas. They always feel like real people. But what were the sort of conversations you guys had to make sure that it wasn't just them sort of, you know, uh, representing viewpoints rather than being people? Well, I remember we said... If they ever, you know, I going, I don't like it rules, you know. I think I, from what I'm told, I never did it, or you know, and, I, and I'm saying I back this is like Jim and I, yeah, never went to Star Trek, and I was told they had a Bible that was like forty pounds or something, and it had a lot of like can't do this, can't do that. I hate that, yeah, because I mean I get it, yeah, but it's just like you're putting limits on yourself. But we did say if they ever if. If she ever sees an alien or they ever kiss, the show's over. <laughs> so that was like kind of the only kind of rules in my memory that we went after. And, you know, it's like any show that uh, you get to know the actors. And, you know, Duchovny is uh, very charismatic and funny and very smart and will go, I, he should do this, I should do that. And so they really – and you just – watch dailies and so the characters really start to grow not necessarily out of our small brains but watching David and Julian interact and go they would do this good or they do that good or we should bring this we need someone else to do this for them and you know that's how that develops did that make any sense yes no you did but I mean for me it's it's sort of tricky because you know she's her character in a way and I sort of got the sense right in the beginning when I'm reading those message boards it because Mulder is more oftentimes right. Even though she's more reasonable and is using a scientific method, she's sort of like an emissary from our normal world into this other crazy world. Yeah, so, so the odds yeah. are kind of stacked against her. Executives call that our, I think they call it our window. What's right. our point of entry? Right. She's the point of view person. Yeah. Right. She's right. Watson. Right. But then, exactly. But then... Um, it, it, it seems like it, it must have been hard then to... You know, I watched the show, and one of the things that, you know, I haven't watched the show in a while, and one of the jokes that people always make about the X-Files is, like, how long is she going to not fucking believe this stuff, you know? Uh, It's stretching believability that she's, like, not buying in. But watching the show, that's something I think that you put onto it later if you haven't watched the show in a while. Mm -hmm. Watching the show, she's very reasonable, and she does a really good job of sort of you know, buying into what she needs to buy into. She's just not jumping to the craziest complu- conclusion. She's using, like, the scientific method. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, what was the challenge there, like, making sure, like, you know, like you said, like, uh, make sure she never sees an alien. But then there are times when she does buy into it. Like, what was that balance for you guys of um, figuring out when she is going to be, you know, sort of... Uh, really trying hard to not believe versus, you know, sort of buying into Mulder. Well, it's it's really tough. Mulder's the fun one. Right. He, you know, he had a lot of the jokes. He's believing in all this weird stuff that um, uh, that's a brilliant thing. That's a brilliant thing that, Chris, I want to believe. Right. I mean, even like the most, <laughs> Richard uh, Dawkins is like, oh, I yeah. want to believe you or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like people want to believe it. <laughs> and um, so he's just more fun. And Scully's like, no one likes that friend that's going, nah. Yeah. Nah. And um, so much earlier than we anticipated, we needed something that she could have an, ex- an experience in that realm 
that would be believable for her to believe in. And and we always thought, I, you know, um, uh, most people will, in, in that realm, they'll go to ghosts or um, wanting to be in touch with a loved one that's passed away. Everyone wants that. And so that's, I don't, I don't remember what number it was. Beyond the Sea Beyond came the up sea. much sooner. I would have thought it would be on the sea, like, when we first started, something like that in year three. Yeah. But it just needed it right away. And, you know, she wasn't going to get on a spaceship or whatever, so we tried to design that episode because Jillian's a great actress and all she was doing was going, no, and disproving. You know, the other thing, uh, we talk about Peter Roth. I'm pretty sure his father published the Hardy Boy Nancy Drew mysteries. Uh-huh. And Peter, when he began, and... Uh, animation at ABC. So Peter had been uh, very instrumental in uh, developing Scooby-Doo. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there wow. was that model where you look at it is that, you know, Mulder has all the fun and then at the very end, yeah. Scully comes in to go, oh no, it was probably that. And you go, yeah. oh, you're, you're really bumming us out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're like sticking the mud. You're right. Yeah, that's right. So, so that. Well, but what, what was interesting was, um, for instance, I noticed that your guys' episodes did a better job of at Scully, I thought, because um, there's a, in Squeeze, or Tombs, actually, she and Mulder sort of catch the bad guy together. So, you know, Mulder has the crazy theory about a stretchy liver mutant, mm -hmm. but she's the one who does the profile that she, that's like, hey, he's going to return to the scene, scene of the crime. So you guys, like, give her good stuff to do. So you, you guys did a really good job of establishing that they make a good team. In Ice, for instance, you know, Mulder's the one who's sort of gone off the deep end. You see mm -hmm. the dark side of his beliefs, the dark side of his paranoia, and you sort of, Scully's the one who's there sort of calming him down, making sure everyone gets along. So I think you guys did a really good job of like um, you know making them seem like a good team rather than sort of being uh, in opposition to each other. Thanks. I mean, you know, again, that was just like um, watching Jillian. You know, it wasn't like trying to make Jillian do our idea of Scully. Right. It was like this is Jillian is telling us what Scully should be, and then we would take it and try to challenge her. You know. And Beyond the Sea, which is one of my favorite episodes. Um, you know, there's a lot of great performances in it. Luther Lee Boggs is amazing. A couple of the things I really love, that first image of the dad talking, his mouth's moving, but nothing's coming out. To me, that is such a great intersection of, like, creepy, mm -hmm. but also kind of believable and also emotionally moving because the dad just died. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you come up with that image? It's, it's so creepy, that actor just sitting there just, like, talking and nothing's coming out. You know, in research and stuff, it was a uh, common phenomenon. Oh, when people like see Yeah, the Nutter relatives. had him, uh, Don Davis is the actor, Nutter has him saying the Lord's Prayer. Like, right. Oh, right. <laughs> but, Whatever. Uh, yeah, okay. uh, He'd just be saying watermelon over and over. Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, never had in my family or whatever, but that, you know, that's a common thing where people said, oh, I had a dream about this guy or what relative and they died. So it was just in the research. Yeah. And uh, for that one, there was one uh, at, towards the end of the episode, there's a. Uh, I think Luther Lee Box is such a great character too, by the way, because he the Brad, actor is amazing. Brad, Brad Dorif is, uh, you know, you have this. You had this series, and it wasn't anything like it. We're on Friday, and like you know, uh, and um, when we had that episode, Rick Milligan was casting director, and you know, Rick at first would bring people in, and they go, no, no. They were like really network 
Yeah. Like, no, we want the weirdos. Yeah. And then once he got that, yeah. he could really, Rick was great at finding us. Like, this guy will do it. And, you know, Brad Dourif, I mean, Darren and I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen One Full of Cuckoo's Nest. It's one of my, Yeah. he's incredible. And uh, yeah, he's in Blue Velvet. And, yeah. You know, and, he's not, and then after that, he was in Lord of the Rings. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. A ragtime. You know, I mean, I, I just thought he was great. And, but his fee was high for that show. I was like, no. And he had these other names, the other people. I'm like, no. No, it's got to be him. So I'm like, I want to uh, put it out there that I would give up my script fee uh-huh. and give it there. But, you know, they don't want to uh, – business affairs at a oh, studio yeah. doesn't want to set a precedent right. of, like, he got X amount of dollars on this show. Then that other show they've got, they got to pay that guy. Yeah. So – but I'm like – Begging and Chris. Also, the idea that writers giving up money for actors—that's oh, not good. It should be going the other way. Well, they want to institutionalize you. It's kind of—I don't want to be giving away my tricks, but when you say I'll give up this, yeah, they know you mean it because yeah. then before then they'll just click you off. They're not listening to you, but you go, "I mean it." Yeah. And Chris heard that, and Chris called Peter Roth on like Thanksgiving, so we got to have Brad Dorf, and he just yeah. like wouldn't let go and Peter's like I hate all of you okay <laughs> and to watch those dailies it's like um, it's not even like you wrote it like somebody way better wrote it I mean he's just phenomenal <laughs> I mean it's and it's such a tough part because he's essentially in the beginning he's an evil guy who's sort yeah. of had a little bit of a of an awakening mm-hmm. so he's gonna play a guy who you know is basically like a serial killer or whatever he is he's yeah. killed his family and all this stuff but then you also have to buy that he had this transformative experience and he's really really hurting and in a way he's not likable but he's a he's like sort of a redeemed character a little bit. No, I um, I had heard your podcasts about it, and like that was kind of like, yeah, I you feel hopefully it's weird that you feel bad for bad him. for him that like his he is truly going to get the worst possible punishment for what he did. Right. You know. Well, okay. So here's the thing that I said on the podcast, the way I interpreted it, and then I got a lot of emails and a lot of just ignore them on Reddit. Just, just delete them. <laughs> well, this one is interesting because I hadn't considered this. So at the end, Scully decides to not go and hear the message from her dad. And to me, and the way I talked about it in the podcast, it was really heartbreaking. To me, the idea that she wouldn't give this guy who really just wanted someone to be there when he was dying, she wouldn't give him that. And also her her wanting to not believe, that instinct was so strong in her that she would rather give that up than hear a final message from her dad. Then a lot of people online said, that I read that wrong, that really it was, you know, her coming to terms with the fact, she's like, I don't need a last message from my dad. I'm comfortable with him. So, uh, and maybe it's some sort of in-between kind of thing there. But to me, it was really, like, kind of devastating that she didn't go. But how did you guys mean that to happen? I think kind of all of that. Yeah. Hopefully, if a thing works, there's a lot of things going in there. But um, for me, uh, this was years later. I was working on a show called The Others, and um, which is a ghost paranormal term. thing yeah. as well. And uh, my grandfather in New York and Syracuse had, had passed away, and I went back there, and uh, I had a he had a tool, you know, like grandpas do, and I took a Swiss Army knife rusted thing from there, 
and uh, I work out in my garage. Like it's just there's really rats up there and stuff. Just yeah. like hell, it's really just not so great. But <laughs> Kristen keeps trying to fix it. I'm like, don't touch it. <laughs> so it's up there. It was like two in the morning, and I had uh, the Mills Brothers, one of my grandfather's favorite uh, bands or musicians from them. And then his knife was there, and I'm writing this scene about all that. And oh. I was like, it was like two in the morning, and in my imagination, or whatever. And I'm like, he's over there. Yeah, he's behind me, and I'm like, and and I don't believe in it. I'm I'm Scully, right? And all that stuff. But I was like, I can't turn around. And because if he was there, yeah, just the world is a whole different. Your setup. whole world is fucked. And so for for Scully, I think she was at that point, and maybe at the year nine, she would, you know, she wouldn't have a different development. Right. But uh, do but, I sound high? No, you don't, but uh, that's actually really interesting because one of the things that really works about the episode is the song, the Beyond the Sea, right. and it seems to me it came from you having a connection to the music that your grandfather... Well, that was my dad's. My Darren is named after Bobby Darren, who sang the, the American oh. version of Beyond the Sea. It was originally a French song. Oh, wow. Yeah. But um, but that sort of thing where you know music connects you to a person and then how that sort of connect right. I think that that's what makes the episode really work. I think is that it seems to come from a really personal place, even though you don't believe in ghosts and Scully doesn't believe in ghosts. But the parallels between you not wanting to turn back and then Scully seeing something that's undeniably crazy, uh, I think that's what makes that episode really work. Thanks, it's saying you gotta, and anything you gotta put yourself out there. And so how much of this, like, so you guys started, I assume, you know, you guys came and met with Chris Carter, and it, he was like, all right, Mulder's the believer, Scully's the skeptic. That's sort of the most basic dynamic. How many conversations did you guys have? Like, you, then the, the hard thing becomes, Mulder's the one driving the episode, right? Like, something crazy happens, Mulder's the one who's like, we got to go figure this out. And Scully's like, we don't have to, we don't have to, we don't have to. And at some point... She sort of buys into the quest because of her affection for Mulder or her connection to Mulder or whatever it and is. And things she's seen. And things she's seen. Mm -hmm. So how much of that was stuff that you guys had planned right from the beginning and how much of it was, you know, you guys going, well, we need to have a Beyond the Sea episode to have her, like, buy into this? My memory is not... Great. <laughs> no. But my memory is that we didn't, that we didn't really have that. Is you just kind well, of yeah you know nowadays um, you know back then there was I, and I don't remember other shows having a writers room for drama it was like a comedy for and you know Sim Simpsons were across the way from us and they had a writers room and they like threw out jokes and stuff I didn't have that on Jump Street we didn't have that I just didn't have that now and things weren't serialized so that writer could go off and figure out how the cops are going to catch this guy this week. But we didn't have that. We just kind of went to lunch or hung out here and there, and oh, this would be cool, and that would be cool. And Chris would go, "I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna introduce the uh, deep throat guy." Okay, and, <laughs> and we go off and do that. And Howard and Alex would do that. And um, once the episodes start coming in, you, you know, it, it's the network at the time. We're all really, really good guys. I'm gonna sound like like. Yeah. Nothing can mess you up more than a, a bunch of executives. But you were good guys. Bob Greenblatt who runs NBC now, and and Dan McDermott, and you know they were they were good, smart people. But they go like, when do they help people? 
they should help people every week. <laughs> so that's that episode Shadows is like, you know, there was a secretary and the ghost and Mo yeah, and Scully. The, like, we took dad, one for the team. Her dead so boss. Like, right. Yeah. Was, you know. <laughs> so Chris, Wait, you don't like that episode? Well, you know, I like uh, the Michael Cattleman. He later did episodes of Space Above Beyond for me. And uh, then I worked with him on the show called The River a couple years ago. And all oh, the actors are good and all that. But it's just not what we were out to do. We took yeah. one, Jim and I are like, look, we'll do this. Oh, hey, they're going to help. And they go, oh, that's great. But then Howard and Alex and Chris could go. Like highway to heaven, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, it was horrible. And so um, there was that way of coming up. And then once you see that, they go, like, oh, that's not as good as that. That's That one wasn't really as good as that one. Yeah. yeah that's right. That's why we should not do that anymore. Yeah. So that helps doesn't help but that plays a part in guiding how a show is going to go and then you know with ice um man and i like those guys jim and i had a 45 minute speakerphone screaming thing with them they didn't want the, the last act should be out in the world the what are the parasitic parasitic worm thing yeah. or whatever it was should it's in New York City <laughs> yeah exactly yeah like King how Kong do, how do you end that <laughs> you can't end that and and we're like no it's contained that's the whole thing that's like uh you know that's like uh, uh twilight zone-ish right you know um and you know we love the thing it was like they did that well yeah that's got to keep it there and they're like no no and then they finally it was just like we hate you just go ahead we'll show you and then nutter came in and did a great job and then they're like we like more like ice <laughs> so that dictates and then you know it's like uh want to help out skelly so maybe we should do this episode right and uh, and I, I think that one of the um, biggest developments on that show, I mean, I, you know what? I was like busy, I wasn't paying attention. And I saw dailies where Deep Throat got killed. I was like, oh my God. Oh, you didn't know? No. Well, you know, we were always like doing our thing. Yeah. And Howard and I was like doing their thing and we check out what each other was doing. And I thought that was like really what showed like this show will do anything. Yeah. yeah, and I think at that point the show had gotten into this thing of reusing, uh, of overusing a Deep Throat a little bit. Right. He started coming into non-mythology episodes, and it sort of had become a shortcut where it was like, well, how do we get Mulder's information? Let's bring this guy in that knows everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it felt like a good time to do that, and then when um, Mr. X came in, yeah. I like that he was a different kind of character. He didn't really want to help. Like he, it, you get the sense that he maybe used to be like Mulder, and now he's uh, uh, he said it. Yeah, he says it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I forget which episode, but he goes, "I used to be you" or something. Yeah, yeah. and now he's really scared. He's always like half in shadow and stuff. So it's a very mm -hmm. different dynamic, diff mm -hmm. different kind of dad. You know. Yeah. Well, that we knew him from Jump Street, Steve. Williams right, of course. Chapel. Uh, yes, yeah. that's right. He's great. He's great. Really good guy. Yeah, and the guy who plays Deep Throat was really great, too. Jerry Harden. Yeah. Yeah, that guy was really great, too. Yeah. It could have been a part that just is like this f fount of information, but then he really brought a lot of humanity to it. Yeah, he had a coolness. Yeah. The Mulder was all amped up. He had a kind of different balance to it all. And right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you look out. You know, like, uh, um, Mitch came in. Um, Pledgy came oh, in. Oh, amazing. And you go, well, here you got a guy stays the whole time. And you know what? I heard that, too, and I got to admit that we were like you know, jerks that uh, Tombs, Paul Ben-Victor was the therapist. Uh-huh. And Paul had no hair. Uh-huh. And then 
we cast a guy in Vancouver who Toombs is going to get. He had no hair. I'm like, this episode is the all bald episode. <laughs> so Mitch came in like, that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good, of course. But, right. <laughs> but that's amazing. Like, the decisions are made on these sort of, you know, in the moment it just feels like arbitrary kind of, you know. It was here forever. It's it's interesting. Like, you know, I go on auditions and stuff and I don't get it. And it's like, why did I not get it? What is it? And sometimes it's like, man, you, you, it wasn't the right height or something, you know. It, well, you know, um, I, 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 this is like one of my, on the whole time there. And when we were casting, for, when we did Squeeze, uh, I was in Chris's office at the time, and I think Chris is awake. I think he was pr- doing the second episode. It was Jim and I and the director, Harry uh, Longstreet, who we were not getting along. Yeah. Which, you know, we didn't hit it off, Jim this and, is, and this guy. This is Tombs? Squeeze. Squeeze. And we're having people come in audition for Tombs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, guys would come in. And like I said, there were guys that, there was no show like that. And so the actors are programmed to come in and try to get the part on the CBS show. Right. And so uh, the audition piece was the polygraph test. <laughs> right. Which we chose because that should be, you're supposed to give it as, the answers as flat as possible in one word. Right. Things. But, you know, these poor guys would come in and go, you know, is your name Eugene Toombs? And they'd go... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, it was torture. And Swinging the, for the fences. Right, yeah. exactly. And the director would, at the end of their audition, um, he'd say, okay, now I want you to go from a neutral to an attack yeah. thing. And uh, they'd go, uh, okay. And they go, uh-huh. it was just emba- And Jim and I would go, don't, don't do that. It's embarrassing. Don't do that. And he says, blah, 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 blah. And, um, but they're just sitting in a chair pretending yeah, just, to like just like this, like, yeah. you know, just a blank face. To yeah. A, blah, blah, <laughs> like, a, like a drunk uncle at Halloween. Blah, oh, you know? God. And so Doug walked in, and it was that thing. I know <laughs> actors hate to hear this, but it is, you can't help it. As he walked in, I went, oh, that guy's too old. Yeah. And by the time he sat down, I went, oh, this guy's too young. I mean, he transformed. Yeah. From those five steps to the chair. And then, you know, Doug, he didn't know him at all. He just sat there. Yes. I go, okay, you ready? You got any questions? He goes, questions? Am I getting another thing? No. <laughs> Is your name Eugene Toombs? And you go, yes. <laughs> did you do this or did you do that? You Whatever. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he was really, really giving me the creeps. Yeah. I'm like, I kind of like this, but he just seemed like a lunatic. Yeah. And so at the end of the thing, uh, the director says, um, okay, can you go from a neutral to attack yeah. position? And Doug goes, what? <laughs> a neutral to attack position. We'd like to see that. Says, I don't understand what you're saying to me. And now we're going, what a kook. And he goes, well, you know, you play a serial killer. And so we need to see, you know, you're going to be, you know, at the camera. And yeah. Doug goes, wait, I I play a serial killer? And <laughs> I don't, and you want me to go from a neutral to an attack position? Is that what you're saying, motherfucker? He's just like, the, we're going, holy, oh my God. And then I'm like, realize, oh, he's doing I've it. been duped. Yeah. And he's got the part. And then when he left, the director's like, no way. <laughs> he embarrassed us. I'm like, no, you're losing this one. <laughs> and, uh, but that was like, if I, you know, if you had, or if I had in gym and stuck with our initial, no. When yeah. he walked in the door, you wouldn't have had this great character. Yeah, and he was great because do you know him personally still? 
Because um, he's had some interesting yeah. stuff happen. Less, less so lately. Yeah. But that's that's an interesting thing because he's a guy who, you know, his creepiness or whatever, it, he, he that actor is a certain way and he brings so much to that role. No one else could have played it like no, that. No, Yeah, and, I mean, he became the first recording. What was the idea behind that? Because that was, you know, on the message boards, very popular character. Mm-hmm. Um, so was that something that you guys had planned? Like, all right, some of these are going to be recurring guys or were you just like, oh, that guy was great. Let's just bring him back. Yeah, you know, you're asking, like, how does it come about? I think, you know, Chris is like, I know, I know, um, what I, I know the second show, yeah. I, I know what I'm going to do. It's going to be a UFO show. That, that would be the extent of it. My memory. Yeah. We go, all right, and then because we knew Peter Roth, the network was very concerned about it just being UFO of the week. And so they wanted that. They or did not. They did not. And so Jim and I were assigned to how do you not do another UFO show? Right. And we were because of our rank. I think Howard and Alex were supervising, and we were. Co-execs, we were next in line. Right. So our job was to think of a monster. And we were in a... Jim and I had an office over there, which is like about like this. Yeah. It was just a box. And um, it was later at night. And Jim goes, what if a guy came through that air? <laughs> I go, that'd be cool. <laughs> and it just starts from there. And, um, you know, you had to go to the network and you have to pitch ideas. And they're like, yeah, okay. And so they were always like pretty on board with doing... Uh, Monster. Monster show. Yeah. Oh, so it wasn't that you guys you guys had to go pitch the bad guys to them? You guys had to pitch the premise well, of every show? Any, any series, the first six episodes, you have to right. say, okay, the first one's going to be a UFO, and we're going to introduce Deep Throat, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. Okay, now, okay, well, we're going to have this guy. And this is like, it was kind of weird. But, and, you, and you, so as a, you're in a room, and you see the screws go. and Yeah. And, you know, and this guy's dead. And you got this guy who comes out and hunts livers or whatever, whatever yeah. you say. And they're just like, uh, okay. Yeah. And um, I forget what, I think Howard and Alex, we always, their first idea was about an abortion clinic. Like, okay, you guys go after us because yours will be rejected. <laughs> you have no chance in hell. Yeah, that that's story. not gonna happen. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh, is what's the abortion? Are there like no. evil fetuses running around? What's well, no, it was like creepy stuff. We were all having kids, and so you all have that thing where you oh. go into the the ultrasound. It's kind of weird. Uh huh. And we're like, you know, we're always trying to tap into what your experiences. You, yeah, you went yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so what? Like you, you know, I've talked about it on the show, and you mentioned there was nothing else like it. Nothing else. Now, just I guess some shows that do that sort of serialized thing with sort of one off. So was that the plan right from the beginning? Was this going to be an overarching storyline? Because I realized watching it, the end of season one, in my head, all the mythology alien episodes sort of work together. But they're mostly standalones until right. the end of season one. It seems like at some point, watching it seems like a decision was made, like, all right, let's sort of connect all these dots. That'll be the big thing, and then all these little things will happen. How, how much of that was, was planned well, for I think Well, I think I was looking at a box set years ago, and I was like, oh, wow, I think there's only four or five mythology shows in the first season, Yeah, if that. And I think it became a mythology show hardcore when uh, Jillian got pregnant. Right. And you had to, okay, figure out how to put her on the bench. Yeah, uh, Dwayne Barry right, and right. Uh, Ascension. Right. Great yeah. episodes, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, uh, one breath she just lies in bed. I mean, I think she had her kid like a couple days before or something. I noticed well, someone who had, uh, I haven't released that one, but uh, I talked to Rhea and she mentioned that when she's on the boat, 
in her dream sequence, there's a pillow behind her. She's like, well, that wouldn't happen in the dream. That was just the actress. Like, I just had a fucking baby. Can, can we put a pillow here? That thing where she's laying on the uh, slab and her dad comes to talk to her. I mean, her her breasts are ginormous. Yes. Like, I was like, oh, you know, nowadays somebody have, like not painted them out, but I kind of, it was like, Yeah, it's very distracting. Very distracting. I'll tell you, after that, (laughs) the next four weeks in the message boards are just about her breasts. It's about (laughs) a lot about her breasts, then people fighting against the people about her breasts, and then people fighting the people fighting the people about the breasts. It really became the internet on the strength of her breasts. I remember watching dailies or whatever going, oh, oh. Yeah, I should get around that. It's, yeah, it's distracting. Well, that that episode is really good. It, it, it's not even really nothing really supernatural happens in that episode. It's just a very emotional episode. Um, and you know, I talk about it in the episode, but um, I've had sort of an experience where a loved one was very sick, was in a coma, and the mm-hmm. the feelings that Mulder has. What I really connected to in that episode was. The sense that, you know, Mulder's not a doctor. He can't do anything about this. So he's running around trying to, like, you know, do other stuff and yelling at people. And he's getting really frustrated. He's got to get it out in some way. I remember when my, um, you know, she's now my wife. When she was really sick, it was just, like, me and her dad going to, like, fix her tires or, you know, getting new curtains for her. Like, you do what you can. And I Mm -hmm. think I really connected to that. How did you guys sort of work out the emotionality of that episode? Was that based on, like, personal experience? Because it really felt very, very real. Um, I'm not... Oh. Well, Jim and I had that too. We had a, a guy that we went to college with. His name was Ed Palacios, and he had a car accident, like Inglewood and four hundred five. And he was, and it was like one of those things where you're used to television, and when you go in either to court or to the hospital, and you go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what is this?" Yeah, TV tells me it's that, and so you know, yeah. Seeing Ed in that in that condition, and just that he's he's kind of there, but he's not. Right. You know, I know that I say I'm <laughs> skeptical, but in that situation, you're like he's he's here, but he's not. And uh, um, I was just trying to explore explore that idea. And you know what? I'm gonna I really upset with myself. I can't remember the name. There was a book that was written by a surgeon. Oh, about his coma dreams. Right. And right. he had a, um, Alzheimer's. He had a Legionnaire's disease and just fell into a coma. And this book is outstanding. And it was like very much about consciousness that in the coma, sometimes like right here, yeah. he heard people in the room talking and he wanted to go, no, no, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. I'm like, but then, boom, he would fall back to some dark place that he would like had no idea how to get back where he just was and it was just really fascinating and uh, that's not to me necessarily a paranormal no situation so you know you take that and you take that and what you need you know um wanted to show that Mulder you know had feelings towards her so you'd try to you know I think sometimes when you you work out a story you go Mulder Mulder's feelings towards Scully you know is that's the first thing you put up Really, and um, you know what we always worked on. Um, you know, you'd get a board, yeah, and you'd go out and get three by five cards, and you know back then it was a teaser and four acts, and then you wrote down, Mulder cries, yeah, and you stick it in the board, and then um, 
you didn't have to write outlines then. We had an executive, Ken Horton, would come down to the office and all the cards would be laid out. There's a story and you go, oh, this should go here and this should go there. So that the, um, you just wanted to show what you meant to him. And also you, I, you said it too, um, you know, um, you have a show and you can have like monsters and ugliness and the paranormal, like vampires sucking your blood and all this like dark shit. And it's it's not all that. You know, and so his choice to not shoot those guys and, you know, her Scully sister says it like just because it's, you know, good or doesn't make it trite and stupid. So right. I think we're trying to get that across as well. Yeah, that was a big thing because Mulder believes in the supernatural, but all the dark stuff. And she's like, you know, there's like positive forces that right. we don't understand also. I thought right. that was really interesting. Well, you know, you're just a one note show if that's right. You know, that's a very interesting that you said that you'd always start with like how Mulder feels about Scully, like every episode, and that sort of building on that very emotional base is why those, right. you know, it's not just a show about people drinking blood or whatever. Another interesting thing in that episode is that it's very hard to sort of do anything cinematic with a coma. It's just a person <laughs> laying there. You guys did such a great job with the boat and the the tether to the to the right. to the uh, you know to the. Uh, Sure, and the you know the dad coming into that room and stuff. How did you guys get that idea? I thought that the, to me emotionally, you know, I used to be like pe this. I would see people talking to people and comas and stuff. I'm like that's bullshit. But when right. Emily was in a coma, she has those stories of weird dreams, and she had in her head built this. When she finally woke up, she's sort of there, sort of not there. You know, she's in a coma for ten days, and then she was like, so um. So like, how are you? Are you are you better? And I'm like, I'm fine. What do you mean? So in her head, the story was that I was the one who was sick. So she could kind of hear. She kind of knew that there were there uh, that she was at a hospital. Wow. But yeah, and so the same thing. It, it felt so real to me that Scully sort of sees her family there on the shore. That really was Emily's experience. One of the weird things I talk about in the podcast when it comes up is that. She says uh, one of the doctors was sticky candy hands, and it was because they had all these, you know, they would put tape on her to, like, you know, yeah. for needles and stuff. Yeah. So some part of her was feeling that, yeah. and had, like, written that into the story. Her brain, like, made a story, like, oh, right, these right. doctors have sticky candy hands because they, mm -hmm. you know, when they would touch her, they'd be putting wow. tape on her and stuff. Wow. But I thought that stuff... As someone who's been through that experience, it all rang so true to me. And it also works story-wise. And I thought that shot, it's such a great shot where it's the first time you see sort of Scully's perspective. The camera's like at the head of the bed, staring out, and she's in like sort of the oh. coma world and then slowly transitions to the hospital. What a beautiful cinematic yeah, way I to think, show uh, somebody. I, I, I was looking at that. I don't know it's green screen Bob Goodwin, but that's like Rosemary's Baby. Oh, is it? In Rosemary's Baby, they have that, like, she's on the bed, and then it's floating, and then, I'll, you know, I don't know if we said, let's do Rosemary's Baby, <laughs> but it was like, oh, well, that's just like that shot in Rosemary's Baby. But it, it's so good, it, yeah. and it really, like, conveys someone waking up so well, and the moment when Mulder comes in and talks to her, and when he talks to her, it's like 20 seconds, he's like, I just want to make sure you're okay or something, and he walks out, but... It was the, that whole episode was built up, built up to that moment of them talking to each other so much that really like got me teary-eyed. Just him talking to her like about really nothing, like oh I'm glad to see you're awake. That moment was so strong. Thanks, uh, you know that's all them. That and that. Wow, that's you know, that's pretty powerful. You know, 
what you're doing, you just told me about it. I mean, and I, and yeah, you did a great job. <laughs> no, but you know, I mean, I've you know, I used to, I used to faint at the sight of blood and stuff. Yeah, and I had that where, and that moment where you hit the floor, and it, it's like a dream. You just have a really crazy, I, and then you start to hear the people's like, "Oh, he fainted," and then you go, oh, "No, it's I'm not having that," and so I can have a, a hunch as to what that is. Yeah, but um, um, I don't know. It's just trying to, yeah, uh, like you know what your wife went through or what that surgeon went through is to go I'm, I'm putting it down there and then a lot of people are going to come back and go yeah that happened to me that yeah. was always the greatest compliment if anyone said I had that yeah or I was afraid of that you know that's like you go hey here's I see life this way do you yeah you know yeah I mean and that's what making art is right it's just that's trying right. to connect to people's yeah. all kinds of different experiences yeah. like the shared you know humanity we yeah. have I thought um, a couple other things I just wanted to mention I thought the last scene of the first season where was he called Scully to tell her that the X-Files is shut down to me and she's so devastated by it what a journey she's taken from episode one to yeah. this one where it like X-Files is kind of a you know, it's like a shit gig, right? It's like, it's not a punishment, but it's like yeah, the, yeah. nothing down here but the FBI is most unwanted, right? And right. that's why she's... And then by the end, to be so bought into this um, this crusade that he has. But she's not buying into everything he's doing, but she knows something's up. Someone's trying to do something. And uh, you guys did such a great job of, like, giving her that arc in a very believable way and also, like, having her really get invested emotionally in Mulder and what he's doing so well. Well, you know, I, I really think that that's, um, yeah, that's just so much Chris. You'd go, no, no, this is now. Let's yeah. let's do this now. Don't, no, no, we're not doing that now. We're doing that later. And, you know, um, you know, he was, uh, he was up in Vancouver, you know, most of the time and could come back and go, oh, you know, it would be a good idea, this and that. And well, uh, were you guys in L.A.? <laughs> yeah, we would write in L.A. and edit in L.A. And then um, usually you'd go up to prep your episodes so I wasn't around for shooting a lot of our episodes I was there when they were shooting Howard or Alex or Chris's yeah. episode wow yeah um, and was that something from the beginning that you guys have been like because it seems to me what, what's great about the show watching it you sort of understand too is that you guys kind of rolled with the punches like obviously her pregnancy mm -hmm. becomes a major part of the show it's not that you guys sat down and were like this is what the show's going to be let's follow this blueprint it feels like you guys sort of went on feeling like uh, this is where it should go. This is how we're feeling. You know, get beyond the CN earlier, get our butt into this. Was that always the plan to have the X Files shut down at the end of season one? And no, no, she got pregnant. Really? And I think I was thinking about it, and because uh, I think that thing at Tomb is like, oh, there's gonna be changes. We yes. must have known she was. Right. And we said, let's let's we'll shut it down. Yeah. Which you know, uh, having grown up in uh, at Stephen Cannell was like old time as you can get or Peter Roth what you did then was the first and second the second year you just did the first year again ah. and the hardest year for a series was the third year because then it was going to get boring right if you did one or two and that's ah. when you shook it up so we were going in saying we're going to shake it up the second year yeah like nah but you had no choice so but I think that's the thing from what I read I'm not on other shows but I believe that you know I I, I think Vince wanted to kill the plan was to kill Jesse Pinkman after right. four episodes or, you know, there's a tax break to go film in New Mexico. Yeah. And so there's these lucky accidents that you have to acknowledge or 
um, Nancy Marquand dying. Uh, you know, uh, The Sopranos yeah. became moved from Tony Soprano and his mother. And there's just accidents that happen along the way when you're lucky and you just have to deal with them. And very often there's the best parts of your show. You can't say, I thought I thought this up and I did it. It's just these, you know, acts of fate come in. Yeah, I mean, I'm on this sh sh show called Silicon Valley on HBO and our sort of the guy who's the money guy, the boss guy, that yeah. actor passed away while we were shooting. Oh, no, I was, oh, no, I'm not he, aware of that. He oh, was no. really good. Have you seen? Yeah, of course, yeah. How much have you seen of All it? it. So uh, Peter Gregory, the the guy yeah. who's like the the oh, sesame no. seeds guy. Yeah, yeah. So if you notice, he's only in the first five. Then he's not there. He passed away while we were shooting uh, episode six. Oh, because I was wondering why. Okay, I see. So he's gone. We sort of, you know, at the in the moment they just had to scramble just a schedule. Like we did reshoots the next year to sort mm -hmm. of fill in some gaps. But he passed away. So now season two, most of it is gonna end up sort of being dealing with him not being there you know and that becomes a major part of the story because he's such a big part of the story you mm -hmm. can't be like all right he's just not around we'll figure it out him not being around is sort of the fallout of that is the whole of season two so like you said it's it's you sort of use you know whatever happens it's a tragedy yeah, or oh, you know man, i'm really sorry yeah no it was it was it was a pretty very very stressful, wow. very very stressful thing. He was so wonderful in yeah, that role. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's he's so funny and so real and so human in it. It's it's, it's devastating. Um, I'm not gonna have this guy back. He's he's depressing. <laughs> no no no. <laughs> no 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 no. This is great. But this is great. I'd love to have you back because one of my favorite episodes is Home. I know and I know that's one of the most um, controversial episodes too. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll get into that in a second. But the other. Thing I want to say, season two, episode one, Little Green Men. I really love this episode because to me, what's really heartbreaking is seeing that Mulder and Scully are disconnected. And it's such a testament to what the show became, which is the two of them together. That is the show. They could be going to get, you know, coffee. And mm -hmm. the, to me, it's the X-Files. To me, it's not the X-Files if they're not, if they're not in it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and to start the next season with them so completely disconnected, where she really there's almost something maternal about her trying to like take care of Mulder. She like you know runs her finger through his hair at one point in like a very like like he's a little boy kind right. of way. To me, that was so devastating. And then sort of getting them to reconnect. You know, he sort of goes on his weird. He goes to that observatory or whatever, and he's mm -hmm. alone there. And that's mm -hmm. such a great like visualization of his of how he sees himself in that moment where he's like alone in this crazy quest and no one's with him and the only guy is there he, he can't understand right, you right. know um, but I think that episode did such a great job of like reestablishing his mindset Mulder's mindset sort of giving him purpose again to go after you know the things he believes and then also reconnecting them was yeah. that always the plan that you guys would like that they sort of after I guess the X-Files is done like separating them um, having them be on like different uh, assignments and stuff, like I guess well, that sort of comes naturally from. Well, because she's pregnant. That's amazing because That's she's it. pregnant. No, and then you, you know, I think over the summer, or we said, or the last few episodes of the first season, she can't run around. Right. So hey, I know. Why don't we? 
Let's She's put her, missing. You yeah. Know, thing and, we'll uh, put her on a boat with a pillow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like really red, all embroidered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you guys um, had to find a great pillow. Heaven makes nice pillows. <laughs> yeah. It's like the pillow of the imagination. This is the best <laughs> yeah. pillow. You can't buy this pillow. Yeah, you some only... guy probably had to go like, Goodwin was like, no, not that pillow, that pillow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, that became, that's just so much of it. You can't have them together. And so probably, you know, it becomes math. Like, when does she have a kid? Okay, so we could use her in bed for a day. Yeah. If she has a kid at the right time. And then she'll be, <laughs> you know, a week off, and then she'll be back to work. So yeah. these first, whatever it was, five or six episodes have to be their own little arc. And right. then you can get back into... The X-Files. Right, but then those... <laughs> that story that becomes mandated by her pregnancy, they've developed... And so you just can't fall back into what it was the first year. The characters have moved on. So that was just all, you know, there's a lot of luck to that. Right. I mean, there's, you know, there's this stuff that happens, but the way you guys sort of deal with it is what's interesting. Like after Dwayne Barry in Ascension, which is sort of how, you know, they write, you guys wrote her going away and then a couple mm -hmm. episodes later coming back. That changes the show. It changes Scully. Right. And the effects of that are felt through the rest of the series. I mean, right. her pregnancy changes the show forever. Right. In a very, I, I think what it does is it, it does a really good job of, you know, she's a skeptic and now she's been abducted right. and she's gone through some crazy shit. It does a great job of like giving her purpose and giving her stakes mm -hmm. in the in, Yeah, in the and there's no, it's totally Joey getting pregnant. None of us. When we went to lunch, we went out <laughs> the office, we go, I got an idea. Let's separate them. Let's really mess up what we got going. <laughs> right. No one would no be one like that. No one would Yeah, this is that. a terrible idea. What are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Get out. Get rid of that guy. And you yeah. see how hard it is. Uh, the one episode where she's not around at all, three with the with the vampires. Right. Yep. That's. Yep. You see how hard it is to the, do the X-Files with just Mulder yep. around. Well, no, I couldn't. You know, I really, uh, TV, it's all about the people. Yeah. And there was a lot of shows that kind of, whatever, rip, ripped off the X-Files or tried to do a conspiracy. Oh, sure. They did not have Dave and Julian. They were never going to work because you didn't have David and Jillian and Mulder and Scully. And that was that show. It's like, you know, they had great writers and came up with some weird shit. But without them, you don't want to go through that. Yeah. You know, I mean, TV, it, like you said, it's all the I mean, if you think of Seinfeld, it's just That's the right. cast friends. Yeah. There's not even a premise. The premise is <laughs> yeah. the title of the show. Right. These six right. people are friends. You yeah. want to hang out with them because they're great together. That's right. Yeah, right. But then what yeah. was cool about your show is that you start with the base of, you know, you want to be hanging out with these people and then build such a big, huge mythology mm -hmm. around it. And so then you guys did the first two seasons. Did it feel like when you were doing season one, you know, the jump from season one to season two in terms of your viewership and in terms of, I know there was a TV guide cover between mm -hmm. seasons one and two mm -hmm. when the show's not even when, on. When it meant something. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Now nobody has TV guides anymore. Well, they're big now. Yeah. Oh, I haven't. They are they? They've been that way for a while. They're like regular magazine. You know, oh. They should be that. Because the listings nobody cares about anymore. No. It's all online. So now yeah. it's, I guess it's like Entertainment Weekly or something. So, yeah. so it's... Um, uh, the the while you were doing season one, I know that you know. So you you're sort of doing your thing, and you kind of in a way don't want to think about are people going to watch this? I hope people watch this. All that stuff you don't really think about that. But did you feel like you were making when you were making season one? Was there ever like, oh man, I feel like we're really doing something here, or did it just feel like you're just doing your job and you're doing the best you can? The, the big picture stuff is not even in your head. Uh, it 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 um. 
It was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Goodwin would call the line producer, as you go, he would call me once a week on his way home to Bellingham, Washington. I quit. Hell with this. <laughs> um, you know, we up in Vancouver, and it was like, and, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Howard, I love Howard. He's very neurotic. And, and I, <laughs> I know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I, I get the show, and, like, and then it was just, it was just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, and then the network going, what are you doing? And, you know, and then the head of the network would say things like, the real hit's going to be The Adventures of Briscoe County. And you're like, oh, hey. <laughs> hey, we're here. <laughs> we're, we're here, right? Exactly. Yeah, we're right here. Yeah, well, after you're canceled, there was stuff like that. And you'd read, like, really? like weekly, like, yeah, goodbye with this show. And you're like, and, you know, we all were, and yeah, so the point, it was just crazy. I mean, I just, I, I, I guess you forget that now, but it was just nuts. And a lot of times, and then it wasn't, we didn't have Bowman, Kim, and Nutter. They were there. But when you have those guys, and they can do three or four episodes a year, you're taken care of. Right. So when you have a show that's not, you know, if you're doing a lawyer show, a new lawyer show, you can go, it's like that lawyer show. Right. I want the shots and everything to be like that. Right. We had a lot of locations. We had scary lighting. Oh, yeah, the show had its own, yeah. like, visual language, like the, the way. No one else had. And I didn't even under realize that. I mean, I've been a big fan of the show, but th this is the most critically I've ever thought of the show. Until I watched the Simpsons episode where they're, like, you know, all doing, doing all those weird camera angles. I was like, oh, yeah, that is what the X-Files yeah, right, looks yeah, like. Yeah. With the, like, purple light coming in through a window. I talked about that in one of the episodes. Yeah. But it had its yeah. own, like, visual... Uh, you know, language, and I, those directors were so good. Like, I remember, I forget what the first Bowman episode was, and then you eventually directed the movie. Yeah. But seeing that, I was like, oh, this is really great. Nutter does, always does a great job. Yeah, and then, you know, Nutter and uh, Kim, well, Bowman, those three all started at Cannell. Bowman was started doing inserts and stuff, and Kim was a little bit of the whipping boy over there. He'd always get, like, the less than good pilots to do, and then he'd get the blame yeah and um when we went over there we said oh we want these guys uh we didn't know rob as well but we're you know we got nutter and uh kim and bob who was setting a lot of those directors was resistant because of that cannel old school reputation and um i think to shut us up they put nutter in for ice and nutter just does no one prepares like dave nutter and he just nailed it i i I've never had a director's cut come in where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do. That's <laughs> good. Done. Send it. And, um, so because Nutter did a good job, somebody fell out on the hand of Erlitz and were like, Kim. And because Nutter had come through for us, they got Kim. And the next week they made him a producer. And Kim was really driven to show, like, I'm good. I'm a good director. I know how to do this, you know. And then Kim worked on Breaking Bad later and then passed away not too long ago, right? Kim uh, he worked on Supernatural for most, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, he passed away yeah. four or five years ago. Yeah, um, and uh, it's interesting to see uh, so many of the same names from later in the season on on Breaking Bad, like John Scheiben, yeah, however yeah. you say it, obviously. And uh, Michelle again. McLaren, who yeah. tonight, she directed some of the great episodes. I, she was up there. She produced the movie too. I mean, she, you know, oh, the first movie. I think the second one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so you guys, so when you were doing season two, did it feel like it was catching on or something? Did it feel like... Because, I mean, you you worked on a show that is 
20 years I mean it's still around they're still talking about doing yeah. another movie you know it's yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's and I feel like right now it's sort of becoming it's coming back into the conversation in a, in a fun way did it feel like you were doing something like that or are you just working on a show no I um we really that goes to I, I didn't answer your question well but that we we're just doing it for us yeah like oh I'd like to see this I'd like to see Guy coming through a crate. Yeah, I like to see a guy. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I'd like to see that. And uh, the, oh, you know what would be cool? Um, yeah. The Hand of Ruiz. I had watched, uh, you know, every of us see uh, National Geographic on a snake eats a cow. Yeah. Like, hey, we got to do that scene, but it's got to eat a guy. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> and then it was just like floating around. They go, hey, Howard, you got to do this do this thing where a snake eats a guy. And Howard <laughs> goes off and he comes back. Uh, weeks or months later, he goes, I don't, I don't, that doesn't make sense. I can't make that. So, if, Fuck you, Howard. We're gonna do this. So it's just like right on a card. Snake eats a guy. And I'm holding it, and I where does it go? And Jim goes, end of Act Three. And you go, just so you can see that. Yeah, that's what you're getting me, to. Yeah, right. And so you just go, all right. We're just doing this thing that you're trying to make ourselves get a kick out of it. And Jim and I left midway through the second year to go to Space of and Beyond. Yeah, that episode I believe was your last one of season right. two. I haven't For, gotten to that one yet. Right, and okay. um. When we uh, did Space, I think that's when they moved to Sunday, and it became huge uh-huh. when we weren't there. I'm like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> but then you guys came back season four. That's right. But we were only going to do four episodes, and we worked on Millennium at the same time. Uh, season four was the yeah. first season of Millennium? Right. That's another Chris Carter show, obviously. Yep. And you guys did Home. What were the other ones you guys did in season four? Do you remember? Um, the uh, Diary of a, whatever it was called, Musings of a Cancer. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Forest Gump. I died. Yeah. And um, Never Again. Yeah. Which one was Never Again? The Tattoo. Oh yeah. With Jody. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then, are you guys around for season five as well? No. Nope. So we you did a uh, fourth year, and then after that. Like, the fourth year, I kind of focused on those four, and Jim did uh, a lot of Millennium. Yeah. And then the second year, uh, we just ran Millennium. Okay. And um, and then how did your brother get involved in it? He wrote, you know, a bunch of the... He wrote sort of the funny, weird ones. Uh, that was, you know, I, I was looking at Blood, and I was going, what was Darren's thing about this? Well, I read, and it said that Darren was running once, and he found because you know they released these like irradiated, yeah, uh, yeah. like uh, to control populations, yeah, yeah, these yeah, sterile yeah. bugs, and he well, just and, um, was wasn't it was um, not Malathion, it was uh, in California. They used to fly around with helicopters and spray back around that time, and I can't remember the chemical. Yeah, I mean those v- v- uh, images of them just spraying kids in a pool with DDT. Right, yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. now, to me, I don't know when I watched it, I laughed so hard. <laughs> I was like, "What it's are they? Real footage, These kids look yeah. so happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like even then, you should be like, something is wrong. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. when cigarettes, where doctors were like, cigarettes are good. Like yeah. really, I'm <laughs> yeah. sucking fire into my lungs. <laughs> yeah. There has to be something yeah. wrong with this. It doesn't make me feel good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I feel lightheaded. Maybe they're tricking me. <laughs> yeah, I cough. Right. My body is fighting it. Yeah. I I think you, that was such a great thing at, at its best to me X-Files you know obviously it's the relationship of the two but what it does a real good job is connecting it to real life stuff right you know the paranoia I mean our government the idea 
you know, you think of the U.S. government as being this thing, like force for good, we do the right thing, and then you find out, well, what about the Tuskegee Airmen? What about DDT? Like all this crazy stuff that was happening, and you guys yeah. sort of took that, the real stuff, and then sort of extrapolated from that in a way that felt very real, felt very realistic, and it, it felt very... I was looking at, you know, in one of the episodes, I talk about like the uh, U.S. mistrust of the government, mm -hmm. and early X-Files, 93, 94, 95, it's like an all-time low. So it's sort of, you know, you guys hit at a time when that was something that was really in the air. As I always, you know, I think about it, and I don't have the answer, but, you know, and to the horror sci-fi genre is usually ahead of things. Yeah. You know, that even Godzilla was talking about the nuclear yeah. war before <laughs> anybody else was, or, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, talking about McCarthy era, or Rosemary's Baby about the coming... That was like really the first great conspiracy movie. Yeah, and I just I didn't know. You know that show came after Reagan. Yeah, but really before now. Yeah, I mean all the stuff that's going on this week in Missouri to me is like just been building up because no one really does. No one did anything, and it no needed like a one inciting incident. Right. So I'm just... like, is that show a response to something? Or were we ahead of the curve? Just and feeling a and you know what I think the other it's the other thing that helps that show be ahead is there there was only AOL. There's no internet to go to disprove you or you know or to immediately get on Snopes and go oh, that's bullshit. You know what I mean? So oh, the, the sense could go that it might be. A, yeah, I but, think that's real. I well, think that what might I would be always happening. did is I'd get like Science News, which was a pamphlet. Yeah, came every Monday. <laughs> And you just do other research out in the world, and and you'd have like oh th at that they had really dug, however many feet into the Arctic, and pulled out an ice core, and all this stuff had been frozen for two hundred fifty thousand years. Like oh that happened this week, and then you had some other thing you would learn about a worm, and you'd make shit up in the middle. Yeah, to, to connect, connect it, it. and yeah. people would inevitably go oh oh yeah I heard of that. Yeah, Which, you know this. Enough real stuff in there. You guys use that as a jumping point in a really, really great way. Because, I mean, the thing with ice, to me, that worm that, like, makes, um, uh, you know, more aggressive and stuff, mm -hmm. it's completely believable. It's not really right. hard sci-fi, that episode. That yeah. episode's, like, fairly... And then later, there's another episode. I forget which one it is. But, you know, there's, like, a... There's like a thing that like can control ants you know like get into ants heads and yeah, then right, like yeah, yeah. move them around and mm -hmm. you know that that's sort of oh it's um firewalker firewalker okay, yeah, is the episode yeah. where that happens it's sort of like pretty similar to ice in a lot of ways right um but yeah and to me you guys did such a great job of you know you have these characters that you really care about but then in connecting it to our world and sort of feeding into I think a kind of paranoia or at least mistrust or distrust mm -hmm. that that I think is very healthy that I think is important. I mean, you don't want to be a crazy conspiracy guy, but I mean, they've been listening to our phone calls and tapping, you know, reading all our emails for years and years. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I forget the name of the person, but you know, there was like a um bombing in I think Afghanistan where like all these civilians died. All these civilians were killed mm -hmm. and they covered it up and then the person who pointed that out is in jail. The people who killed those people are out and haven't even lost their jobs. Yeah. The person who said, hey, this crazy shit happened, that's the person in jail. I mean, that's that's X-Files stuff. 
Well, you know, I guess it probably is, you know, Orwell and uh, those guys yeah. like that who said this stuff's coming and no one, they thought, oh, that's cute. It's coming 30 or 40 years from now, but it was happening then. And, um, you know, once you have a show like that, people just start offering you, you know, at first you have to go out and do research. Yeah. And then after it's been on a while, <laughs> you start bringing, people are bringing weird stuff. You know what I know? Yeah. What? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had Dean Haglund on, yep. lone, lone gunman, and he talked about how he saw this one truck that was like this huge armored crazy truck where they were like hiding something on it. Mm. And like there like cop cars all around it and stuff, and they're driving on the highway, you know, two in the morning. And he's like, what the fuck is on that thing? Like, what yeah, is yeah, on that thing? Yeah. To me, that one episode, uh, I believe it's EBE. Uh, I don't think, I think Howard Gordon and Alex Ganza wrote it. I think. Yeah, we wrote that one, but I'm not going to be able to remember what You guys wrote EBE? Yeah. Is that the one with the... Um, with the truck that has the alien life form in it, and at the end, yeah. then Deep Throat is like, I'm one of three people who's killed in EBE. Yeah. That's such a great episode, because to me, to me, X-Files is at its best when it changes my world a little bit. Mm. And now whenever I see a big truck driving down the highway, <laughs> I always look at it differently, because yeah. there's that sense, and that episode does such a great job of like Mulder, is like, the truth is in that truck. I just have to get to that fucking truck. Right, you know, right. and it's just like sort of a, just driving across America and he's trying to track down this truck and it's taking like a huge, big, crazy idea, making it very small, putting it on a truck and you just have to get to the truck. Yeah, I think um, when Jim and I started this place, Sandy Howard, and we had come across an article where they transported uh, nuclear triggers oh, wow. in 18-wheelers. And that was like, if they were hijacked, you know, and so <laughs> you just remember, what a great idea. And then whatever, 10, 15 years later, you go, oh, I know where we could do that. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's what it is. Like, I guess writing, like you have these sort of weird floating around ideas and just looking for a home. And at some point you're like, all right, this clicks that's perfectly right. yeah, in yeah, here. Yeah. Let's yeah. put that guy eats snake. Let's put that act three here. Guy eats a snake. Uh, yeah. Snake, I mean, snake, snake eats a snake yeah. eats guy. Don't get it. Don't it, mess it up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. And um, really, I mean, it's such a wonderful show. And I was so thrilled that you uh, uh, that you were responding to me on Twitter. It's And it's a show that holds up so well. Like, you know, all the people who are finding the show now because you guys use special effects in such an uh, so, sort of spare, sparingly mm -hmm. it's not a show that you know I mean you watch the old Star Trek you have to like really ignore all the fucking bright blue green lasers and shit but X-Files isn't like that at all it's well there is the uh, I was looking at the hand of Erlitz and she's like I found this on the internet <laughs> and we go to the reverse and it's all DOS she's got this little laptop yeah you know. but I mean but that's how it was I mean you I know, know you guys yeah. there's no way for you guys have to put OS 10 in there you know <laughs> yeah, if you had well, someone course, using yeah. an iPad you'd be yeah. like wait what no, is and that now I watch Taxi Driver and I'm like they're all on Electric typewriters. Yeah. There's no cell phones. They, yeah. they have vinyl records. You know, yeah. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much for coming and uh, talking to me. This has been awesome. I know people are going to love it. And thank you for, you know, working on no, the I really, uh No, I really, uh, really like Silicon Valley. I really like your work there. I'm really, oh, thank you. really sorry to hear that. And, um, you know, it's my pleasure. Oh, thank you. All right, so that was Glenn Morgan. What really jumped out at me, again, talking to him, was uh, the same thing that I thought of while I was talking to um, Mark Snow, and that is, you know, in your head, you build up these things of how these, you know, the, the way that these guys came up with amazing ideas and stuff, and really, a lot of it was, he said, 
stuff that they wanted to see, which I think is such a great lesson to learn. Like, uh, do the stuff you would be a fan of yourself. And that's a great gauge because, you know, you obviously have good taste. You like what you like. Try and make stuff that you like. Make stuff for yourself. And hopefully it's going to be stuff that um, other people are also going to uh, react to, have a good reaction to. Um, the other thing I learned uh, was uh, how much of the X-Files came out of necessity. You know, they, uh, um, Gillian Anderson, Gillian Anderson was pregnant. They needed to come up with a reason to write her out for a few episodes. And they were like, well, we're going to have to come up with a long story that spans over a bunch of episodes. And that really is how X-Files became a serialized show. The myth arc of the X-Files really happened out of a need to do it, out of um, circumstance. And then it sort of came to define the series, obviously. So uh, I thought that was really, really fascinating as well. Another thing that's really, really cool is um, Glenn actually gave me a really, really fantastic present. He gave me um, index cards from uh, the field where I died. So basically, people who don't know, uh, what's really common is when you're writing an episode in a, in a, in a room, you, on index cards, you write, like, basically every single scene. You just call it what it is. You just title it, like, Mulder and Scully discuss the case or whatever it is. And then on a big soft board, you lay out all the scenes together. So it'll be, like, act one and then, like, three or four scenes or however many it is, act two and then a bunch of scenes. So he brought me the actual index cards that they used in the room when they were writing this episode. And there's little, like, notes on them that Glenn had written in pencil, like, I like this, I don't like this, this. What really, really got me was that all the index cards have little holes for the thumbtacks, the thumbtacks when they put them up. And, you know, part of me was like, hey, I want to get him to sign it. But I was like, no, I want them to be exactly the way they were. And... After the, um, or during the Mark Snow episode, I talked about, you know, totems or how I think objects have power or value. And a lot of it is, you know, how you see them, your connection to, you know, the memory you had of uh, what you did with these objects. And I just, I don't know, when I look at these, I think of them 20 years ago in a room trying to actually figure out these episodes. I think of that, you know, so uh, it honestly, I was shocked. I was like, wait you really want me to have these? And he just, he just gave them to me. So I'm going to have them framed or something. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I, I was just really, really touched and blown away. Maybe the best gift I've ever received in my life. I mean, that it probably is. Cause you know, obviously I love X-Files, uh, paraphernalia and stuff, but something that was actually involved in the making of the show. Uh, I mean, I, I really have no words for it. So thank you to Glenn for talking to me and for giving me that uh, wonderful, 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 wonderful gift. Um, again, apologize, guys. Uh, the episode with Matt, uh, we've lost it. It's gone. There's no way it's coming back. Red Museum and uh, the, the other one is uh, Firewalker. They're gone. That discussion is gone. I don't want to try and recreate it. Um, so next week... I'll sort of discuss those episodes. We'll put out the Kevin Smith episode. We'll attach uh, Excelsior State to it. So I'm, I really, really apologize. I know a lot of people watch these episodes in preparation 
for this week's podcast. It's just one of those unavoidable things. And what what also sucks is I'm away, and I've been away for about a month. And if if I was at home, if I was with Emily, I would have been like, "Hey, Emily, just watch these episodes. Let's just talk about these again." But uh, unfortunately, uh, I've been away working, and I'm gone for a little bit longer. Um, so that's not going to be able to, you know, we're not going to be able to do that, but, uh, and, um, if you guys, uh, I said this on the Reddit, but, um, I'm not going to be skipping any more episodes. Well, <laughs> unless the file gets corrupt, I'm not going to be skipping any more episodes. So, so I guess that's something I should say. Um, follow me at X-Files files, email me at the X-Files files at gmail.com. Um, please go vote for the show on iTunes. Give us five stars. Um, you know, all that good stuff. Follow me at Kamel N. Oh, my show, uh, The Meltdown with Jonah and Kamel. There's only a couple of episodes left. Uh, one of them is on tonight, 1230 a.m. Uh, every Wednesday after at midnight. And it's got tonight's episode has Michael Ian Black in it. It has Gabe uh, Liedman and Jenny Slade in it. it. It has Reggie Watts in it. Um, it's a, it's a really, really, you know, I'm just really proud of this show and I don't know yet, um, if we're going to get into the season, I hope we do, but even if we don't, you know, we got to work on something that we can be proud of. Maria Bamford is in it. I can't believe I didn't mention her. She's in it. And it's got surprise drop-ins from, uh, Jen Kirkman and Ron Funches and it's a fun, uh, it's a fun episode. It's a really, really funny and, uh, uh, everyone sort of does you know, interesting, different kind of stuff on this episode. Uh, so I'm really proud of it. So please watch it. Um, thanks again for understanding, guys. I'm so sorry. I, I know you guys are bummed about it, but trust me, I'm I'm way, 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 way more bummed about it. Um, so I apologize, and um, I would love to say that it won't happen again, but, you know, it might. These things happen, and it's unavoidable. And every, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I'll, every single podcast to listen to there's one episode that people are like oh man that that one's just gone there's nothing we can do you know when it's a computer and you can't see the tape going it's not that we didn't hit record that's not it it's a weird file thing but you know when you when it isn't actually physical media things go wrong so you know or maybe it's a conspiracy by the government i mean you know they didn't want our uh, uh, uh observation about bradley whitford going rambo to um, be heard by everybody. So, hey, let's blame it on that. Uh, thank you so much for understanding. Um, see you guys next week. Hey, baseball junkies, check out Duck Snort, a baseball podcast for people who can't get enough baseball. We talk with baseball fans and pros to bring you funny and thought-provoking conversations about America's pastime. Like whether Mike Trout or Madison Bumgarner will win a skills competition. Or if Bartolo Colon is a cyborg who will pitch until he's 100. So subscribe to Duck Snort in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Or visit DuckSnortPodcast.com.